This is the Marathon Training Academy podcast, episode 397. This episode is brought to you by Revel Mount Charleston Marathon and Half. The Revel Race Series features incredibly fast and remarkably beautiful downhill races, with the next race taking place in Las Vegas, Nevada on April 1st, 2023. Register at runrevel.com with the code MTA10 and get $10 off your Revel Mount Charleston registration. Thanks also to Prevenex, makers of Joint Health Plus, which is clinically proven to reduce joint pain, reduce stiffness, and improve joint flexibility in just 7 to 10 days. Save 15% by visiting Prevenex.com. That's P-R-E-V-I-N-E-X, Prevenex.com. Use the code MTA for 15% off. Hello and welcome to the MTA Podcast. In this episode, we speak with best-selling author Christopher McDougall and coach Eric Orton about how to experience what good running feels like. Plus, we'll get caught up on what the original characters from the best-selling book Born to Run are up to today. And don't forget, as an Academy member, you can get all the good stuff, training plans, courses, back podcast episodes. Find out how to join when you visit MarathonTrainingAcademy.com. All right, I want to say congrats to all of you that finished the 2022 New York City Marathon. Over 50,000 runners participated this year. We were not among them, but we did hear from many of you that it was tough out there. It was unseasonably warm with temperatures in the mid-70s. And humid. Yep. There was a Brazilian runner named Daniel Ducimento who led the race and had a big lead on the rest of the runners, but then he collapsed at mile 21. Uh, here's something I read on uh, letsrun.com. On a warm day, he went out at world record pace the first 10K. At the halfway mark, he had at least a two-minute lead, two-minute 12-second lead, actually, over Evan Shabet. And then at mile 18, he veered off the course and took a potty break. And apparently the, the potty break was only 18 seconds. I read that he had was dealing with diarrhea due to something that he drank. Oof. Then at uh, around mile 21, he just started walking and stepped off the course and just collapsed on the ground. He did go to the hospital and had low glycemia and dehydration and was released from the hospital an hour and a half later. Well, I'm glad he's okay. We had a lot of members and clients there as well as podcast listeners. Congrats to Dipti, one of our clients who we actually had on the podcast back in January. She says, if I can make it there, I can make it anywhere. State number two and marathon number two is done. She said, this was such an incredible weekend. The race was extremely tough but such an amazing experience. The crowds were absolutely insane. I've never experienced anything like it before. She says, thank you to the amazing MTA coach Athena for believing in me and finding ways to build my fitness and strength despite multiple hurdles and injury during this training cycle and for knowing exactly what to say and do to keep me positive when I was having doubts. Well, congrats on finishing marathon number two and just really soaking in the energy from the course there at New York City. And you might also remember we had another client of ours on the podcast earlier this year, and that was uh, DeLorean Ostrom from Georgia. He's running 12 marathons this year, and uh, he finished marathon number 11 there at New York City. He says, two days ago, I got the privilege to run one of the most amazing marathons in the world. I got to run that marathon while also raising money and awareness for the Colangiocarcinoma Foundation, which means the world to me. 
When my wife was first diagnosed, I thought our life was over. I didn't know what I would do without my best friend. But here we are almost three years later. The cancer may be back, but my wife is still fighting. And because of this awesome community and my amazing MTA coach, Henry, I'm getting to run some of the most incredible races and be inspired every day by you all. It's true, you can do hard things, and I have what it takes to run a marathon and change my life forever. Marathon number 11 for this year. One more to go. So thank you, DeLorean, for sharing that. This comes from Zach, who was coached by MTA coach Chris. He says, I wanted to say thanks for all your help and support training for the Emerald Isle Marathon in North Carolina. My two-hour, 57-minute, and 23-second time was a PR by almost two minutes, and you made the entire training process easy and fun. When I trained for my race last year, I felt extremely burned out for almost a month and got sick after the race. This year, you helped me reach a PR in just three months. I felt great and had plenty of energy throughout training. I could not believe how well everything went. Wow. Glad the training went well and sounds like the execution on race day went really well. So congrats, Zach. And this comes from Fernando, who ran New York City Marathon as well. He says, in the last 30 years, I had an internationally awarded marketing career because I can do hard things at work. Meanwhile, my running career had an embarrassing score of zero official races. (laughs) I was searching for running playlists when I saw the Running a Self-Leadership MTA episode. I listened to it and got hooked by the tagline, you have what it takes to run a marathon and change your life. Why not make the New York City Marathon my first official race? I hired MTA coach Henry 18 weeks ago. More important than creating my training plan, Henry made me believe I could run a marathon. I just needed to trust the process. He reminded me that I had already achieved all my objectives and changed my life during the training, so the race was nothing more than my victory lap. Yeah, I like it. That was exactly my mindset when they shot off the cannon and I heard Frank Sinatra singing, If I can make it there, I can make it anywhere. I saw a runner balancing a pineapple on his head and thought that he was probably the only one having more fun than me. Oh, I saw a picture of that guy. Yeah, he's done over like 200 marathons or something with that thing. He says, I was running up the bridges while lots of people were walking, which made me realize that Coach Henry did a wonderful job during my training cycle. Queensboro Bridge was my most special moment of the race. It has to do with the why I was running. Before the race, the only memories I had of that bridge were from the many hours I spent looking at it from the window of the MSK hospital, waiting while my wife was going through cancer surgeries. This time, I was looking at that exact same window from the opposite angle, knowing that I would find my wife cheering for me somewhere at the exit of the same bridge. The fact that I was running to raise funds for cancer research made everything more special. I re-entered Central Park and thought, oh no, the fun's almost ending. I crossed the finish line after four hours and 58 minutes. No pain except for the facial muscles I used to smile for 298 minutes. Thank you, Angie and Trevor and the MTA community for the inspiration and Coach Henry for the incredible support. And that comes from Fernando. It's funny that he said, oh no, the fun is almost ending. Like I've literally never heard people say like, it's too bad this marathon is almost over. (laughs) (laughs) You could just like get into ultra running with that kind of uh, endurance mindset. Then you don't have to stop. You just keep going. And speaking of ultra running, we have some amazing guests on the show today. We're super excited to have Christopher McDougall and Eric Orton. We've been wanting to have Christopher McDougall on the podcast Ever since we read Born to Run, like 10 years ago, if you haven't read that book yet, it's a great book. It actually sold 3 million copies, and I've read that it's the most popular book ever written in the running genre, and the book helped to launch the minimalist shoe movement, the natural running form movement, 
and also brought a lot of attention to the world of ultra running. This is from Wikipedia. In Born to Run, McDougal tracks down members of the reclusive Tarahumara native Mexican tribe in the Mexican Copper Canyons. After being repeatedly injured as a runner himself, McDougal marvels at the tribe's ability to run ultra distances over 100 miles at incredible speeds without getting the routine injuries that most American runners deal with. So the book Born to Run came out in 09, and it is a page turner. One reason is there are so many interesting real-life characters in the book. These are just a zany group of runners who go down and compete in this race against the Tarahumara. And, of course, there's Christopher McDougall. There's Micah True, who's the race organizer. His nickname is Caballo Blanco. He was an ultra runner, lived a hermit life in the Copper Canyons, lived among the Tarahumara. Unfortunately, Micah True passed away in 2012 at the age of 58. Another person in the original book is Scott Jurek, who is legendary in the ultra running world. He won the Western States 100 miler uh, seven times in a row. Also in the book is Barefoot Ted McDonald, who, as the name implies, runs barefoot. And then, of course, there are my personal favorites, Jen Shelton and Billy Barnett. They were young ultra runners in their early 20s and just kind of wild party animals who lived just kind of bohemian lives. Also in the original book, Born to Run, is Eric Orton. He's the coach who helped Christopher McDougall rebuild his running from the ground up. And we are just thrilled today to be joined by Christopher and Eric for this interview. The new book that they have co-authored is called Born to Run 2. That's going to be published in December. We were lucky to get an advanced copy. It's a great book. It's more like practical, hands-on, nuts-and-bolts kind of stuff. Yeah, it's actually called Born to Run 2, The Ultimate Training Guide. And so it has great stories and it has very practical exercises and training, you know, especially geared toward people who have suffered injuries or maybe have been frustrated by their inability to stay healthy and injury-free. So here we go. Here's Christopher McDougall and Eric Orton. Well on my way, well on my way. All right, so let's start back to the beginning and how did you guys meet? And let's start with Chris. How did you meet Eric and decide that you wanted him to coach you? You know, it's funny. Now that you ask the question, I'm actually really curious to see me through Eric's eyes because in a way, I've had all the real estate to sort of tell that story because I describe it in Born to Run and it's really kind of pivotal to Born to Run too. So it's always kind of my version of me showing up. But Eric, I'm really curious, like when when I came walking onto the scene, what did you take in? When when I when we first met in Denver, what was really apparent right away was, you know, he- hearing how much you wanted to run and how you thought you couldn't, been told you couldn't. Um, you experienced a lot of injuries and a lot of big hurdles why you didn't think you could run. And that tugs right at my coaching um, heart. And as you know, we spent the next day in Denver just working on your running and, and getting you to the point where, hey, maybe there's this small glimmer of hope that you can run and you're meant to run and there's no reason why you couldn't run. I love that. I love that I, I tugged at your heartstrings. It's, you it's, did. You know, did. <laughs> it's, it's so tender to this day. <laughs> to this day. <laughs> Springs are still there, right? <laughs> there's, a, there's, a, there's a bromance brewing by the minute. Uh, <laughs> the backstory of that was that I was a freelance magazine writer 
and I'd been given an assignment by Men's Journal Magazine. And I was supposed to meet up with this guy, this coach from Jackson Hole, Wyoming. And the reason why he was making a name for himself was because up in Jackson Hole, which is such a multi-sport center where you have whitewater guys and mountain bikers and runners and climbers, everybody who does something extreme and outdoors is up in Jackson Hole. And Eric was a coach who's working with all different kinds of athletes. And so for Men's Journal, they wanted to know how Eric was able to sort of multi-purpose and multitask for such a variety of different adventure athletes. So that was going to be the purpose of my story. And then I get there and within five minutes, the whole plan is like scuttled because <laughs> we get there and I'm like, hey, I'm, how you doing? My name's Chris. Hey, I'm Eric. Good to meet you. And within a couple of minutes, I'm telling him I just come back from Mexico for another magazine assignment. I'm down the Copper Canyons with this tribe. And then Eric's, you want to talk about like talking to Harshwick, his eyes is like lit up. And he's like, you're with the Tarumana? I'm like, yeah. And what had happened was Eric had been coaching in uh, Colorado for years prior to moving to Jackson Hole. And so he was familiar with the legend of the Tarumana runners who had come to Leadville in the mid 90s and had just like crushed the field before disappearing, you know, back down into the remote Copper Canyons. And so he had always wondered, like, what do these guys know? And we never had a chance to see them. I had a chance to see them, but I didn't know what they were doing. So in a way, this, this was like a, a buddy comedy waiting to happen because here's a guy with all the knowledge, but none of the firsthand information. Here's a guy with the firsthand information, doesn't know what any of it means. And so there we are in City Park in Denver, and the magazine assignment was quickly just kind of forgotten. And then he's like, yeah, I would love to run the way they do. And I said, dude, I would just like to learn how to run at all. 240-pound dudes is always busted down. And having coaches tell you to your face, there are people who run, and then there's you. So that's, mm. that's how it began. And I think that's what resonated with a lot of people in Born to Run is injuries are so rampant, so widespread. People think like unless you have a certain body type that injuries are normal and, you know, there's just a lot of frustration out there. And so the concept that we are born to run, it's not something that's abnormal, but, you know, and if you have these tools in place, you know, with form and focusing on footwear and things like that, it is possible. I think that's what really captured people's imaginations along with this awesome story that you're telling about these indigenous runners? You know, I think one thing that people miss in our current world is that they think that we have changed so much that we're very different than our ancestors. And, you know, we've changed superficially. You know, we have technology, we have lots of, you know, different kind of clothing and vehicles, but physically, you know, our bodies have not caught up with the modern era. We, we are living in a caveman body. Physically, we got the same infrastructure that our ancestors had 10,000 years ago. And so when people go, well, you know, maybe it was okay for them, or maybe it's okay for other people, but not me, because somehow I'm, I'm different. I'm a modern human. And the good news and the bad news is you're actually a caveman. Nothing has changed. You got the same raw set of materials that your ancestors had well before the dawn of the internal combustion engine. So there's nothing that your prehistoric ancestors did that you can't do yourself if you just change your behavior and your movements a little bit. So we're basically cavemen with a bunch of bad habits. <laughs> well, basically, you know, inside every human, there is this kind of war because, you know, you have a body that was made for movement, a body that is supremely capable of movement, but a brain who is trying to conserve energy at all costs because that, that's the function. You know, you don't want to empty your gas tank doing something frivolous and all of a sudden realize, oh my God, here's a tiger, better run. Oh, sorry, you know, 
uh, pull the hamstring or my glycogen stores are depleted, you're toast. So your your brain is constantly scheming ways to save energy. And so for most of our existence, that was a great balance. The brain's like, hey, dude, take it easy, rest, nap, naps are great. And then your body, which is designed to move. But the problem was our brains ended up outracing our bodies. Our, Our brains came up with such an amazing way to conserve energy that like this little rectangular thing in your hand can solve all of your problems. You never have to move because you just hit a button on your phone and nutrition appears at your door. Like you don't have to chase it. You don't have to fight with it. It's just there. And so that's the, that's the problem. In, in the war of movement, the brain won out and conserved energy so much that our bodies never have to move at all. It's Which, like we have to go out of our way to be healthy and to move like we were supposed to. Yeah, I was, I was going to say, that's exactly what Chris needed to hear when we first met. He thought he was this unique dude. He had this great excuse that he couldn't become a runner, and it was exactly the opposite. And I think, you know, for your listeners to realize that, hey, we're all meant to move a certain way, and there's really no excuse for you to be able to run as long as you want, as far as you want, as fast as you want, and injury-free and feeling good. It's true. I had a note from my doctor saying I didn't have to run. Yeah. <laughs> The ultimate that's, excuse. That's what I needed in high school <laughs> right? to get yeah. out of the mandatory mile. Yeah. Yeah. So Eric, do you remember like what you prescribed for Chris back then to help his form and so forth? Yeah. In that first meeting, in that day specifically that we're talking about in Denver in the city park is that, you know, I, I had to accomplish two things is one, I had to give him a way for him to really feel what good running can feel like immediately. And so we, we actually did quite a few pickups and sprints and, and things that you wouldn't intuitively think that maybe has helped a broken down runner. But mm. the idea was that I needed, again, a, in an immediate way for him to have this glimmer of hope that it's not just words and not just BS. And so I had to put him in that situation for him to feel it immediately, which then maybe opened that door slightly for a conversation about a 50 mile race in the Copper Canyon that he maybe thought he could have a semblance of a way of, of, of attacking that. If only there was a book where all these these techniques and drills were written down, you know, so people can read and see how to do them. If only, if only there was a book, guys. Well, you, know, you know, the interesting thing about that is that one of the real challenges that we faced is something I've seen a lot, which is that movement doesn't really translate well to language. You know, if, if I tell you yeah. both right now, hey, scratch your nose. Well, is it left hand or right hand? Is it front of the nose or the side of the nose? Scratch hard or scratch softly. I, I've seen it a lot with um, running methods like the pose method or, or chi running, which are fundamentally very, very sound. It's very good advice, except the, the language is difficult. So I watched Dr. Mark Kukazella, who's a terrific runner yeah. himself, A plus in every category of existence. But I was actually at a running clinic he was holding, and he was showing people proper running form. And one of the first things he'll say is, okay, you want to lean forward from the ankles. And I looked around, so I wasn't quite sure what to do. Like, how do you do this? And I watched. Everybody in the group was doing something different. People were bending <laughs> over. Some people were bending their knees first. And a simple thing like that, which is good advice, but when you use it in language, it, it's hard for people to interpret. So one of our challenges was figuring out something that Eric is really, really good at is how to jump past the language and get into the movement. So when he says that day in City Park, he's like, you know, it's like this busted up dude. And this happened doing sprints, which seems counterintuitive. But it actually worked. And, that, and I've seen it now. Whenever Eric and I do events together, 
I'll be up there like telling stories, you know, trying to like, weave the, the word magic. And people are like, when can we get outside in the parking lot with Eric? And what he'll <laughs> do is quickly just give them something to do. And they're like, oh, yeah, all that crap that Chris was talking, like, now I get it. And then, let me just give you one quick example. So we were in Arizona with a woman named Chelsea Luger. Chelsea Luger is a Native American wellness expert, a terrific strength athlete, a dancer. So she is supremely strong and agile and really, really smart. And uh, But she had, she struggles with running. And so we were out, and Erica was giving her instructions. And it was the classic overthink. Like, she would get it. But then she would think about it, and she would progressively get worse the more she thought about it. And at one point, Eric stops and goes, Chelsea, you're a dancer, right? Yeah. Show me some dance moves. And instantly, she clicked, and she started to dance in the park. And he goes, that's it. Like, take that. And so he was able to come up with a, a movement fix that instantly got it into her muscle memory. Hmm. And then that's the key, is, is putting an athlete in a situation where they can feel it where they don't have to think about it. They don't have to wonder what it looks like. I, I see that so much, especially with run form. And we can get into strength and all that later. But with run form specifically, the biggest mistake athletes make is they continue to think about what it looks like. Or if it's hard for them, they continue to try to learn more. And it's, it's developing that feeling that is the key. So then they can replicate that feeling. Yeah, I can definitely relate to that because having tried to tinker with my form before, you definitely can get in your own head and start to overthink it. And it just drags the joy out of running. Yep. It's no longer fun, like you guys talk about in the book. And then, you know, then you are constantly questioning yourself, like, am I doing this right? So, you know, I thought that was one really, really practical part of the book that I really liked was going through like those movement snacks and different form cues, um, you know, like getting your cadence up. Like you don't have to overthink that. And right now people are wondering, did she say movement snacks? <laughs> like snacks? We all like snacks, right? <laughs> so you guys will have to explain what a movement snack is. Yeah. So movement snacks are a, a way for the athlete to really hone in on their whole body in, in, as a general sense. And, and, and if we start to see as our, our body is one unit and everything that we do and how we move our body relates to how we want to move while we're running, that's what a movement snack is. It's, it's to activate the muscles, it's to get the body moving how it's meant to naturally move. But within that, specifically for the book, we're using a lot of the movement snacks to add mobility for people that may have dysfunction or injuries that need to get past that before they can really, truly get on a path for injury-free, discomfort-free running. You know, one of Eric's benefits is that the person he's working with is acutely ADHD and, <laughs> and, kind, of, and kind of rude. So... <laughs> Eric will say to me, like, okay, here are these 15 exercises you should do. I'm like, dude, I am never doing 15 exercises. You ever whittle this crap down to that too? It's a non-starter. I'm, I'm Eric's guinea pig, so he can test anything on me. And I'll tell him right off the bat, like, oh, man, that is so boring. I'm not doing it. But what, so what he does is Eric is really good at coming up with movements that are things people will actually do. So one, one of these key functions, you know, or, or key beliefs is that we pay way too little attention to foot mobility and the movement of the foot. And I used to tell people that, you know, everyone focuses on couch to 5K, but the real challenge is like couch to floor. Like taking your foot, which has been immobilized in a shoe all day with an arch support and a cushioned heel and laced up tightly, and now you want to wake it up, you know, let it go free. So Eric comes up with little things like just a thing you can do in the morning. So as you're standing in front of the coffee pot waiting for the coffee to be ready, 
just balance on your forefoot on one foot and let the other foot dangle free in the air. And what happens is suddenly your entire body from your big toe up to your head is now awake because you're trying to like sort of find that balance a little bit and your, your foot is waking up and your hips and your, and your leg as you're trying to find that balance. Imagine like a, a tightrope walker balancing on one leg. You do that in, in two minutes while you're waiting for the coffee and then suddenly your arches, your, all of, of your foot infrastructure is awake. Things like that are movement snacks. I think that's so helpful and practical because I know, you know, like a lot of people who read Born to Run initially, you know, we hopped on the minimalist bandwagon, but we didn't want to like build up slowly, like it's, it's encouraged, you know, like we want to do the lazy person's way and go from wearing our, our cushy built up shoes and then to getting like Vibrams or whatever we chose and doing our five miler without building in that strength. You know, we have these weak, flabby, lazy feet. <laughs> You can't really skip to the end without having some difficulty, I guess. There's one thing that I think I would really like people to remember, which is that there's a lot of joy and satisfaction in the process, you know, yeah. and, and there's in the baby steps. And I think what people, they get so focused on the performance aspect and, and we've made running so performative that if you dare to tell somebody like, hey, I, I just started running. You'll instantly be get hit with questions. Well, are you you know are you running a half marathon or what's your fastest ten k? Uh, are you with a club? It, it becomes judgmental and qualitative. And I think the thing about it is that any other activity you begin, you know, if you say, "Hey, I'm I'm learning how to play the guitar. How fast can you play? Now, have, you, have you been <laughs> in the concert yet? You know, when are you gonna be in the concert? Like, no, dude, I'm taking my time. I'm learning a chord. But the thing about that is, when you take your time, when you perform it well. That's enormously satisfying. And then you do another chord. Hey, I got it. That's really satisfying. And so I wish people could understand that learning how to run properly, running form, does not need to be an obstacle. It doesn't need to be a burden. That the satisfaction of, of doing a movement that feels good is an instant reward. It's a little piece of candy in your body. And then you do it again, and it's another piece of candy. Oh, hence the snack name, Movement <laughs> Snacks. Right? There you go. Yeah. <laughs> Healthy snacks. This is awesome. Well, we hope you've enjoyed this conversation thus far. Quick break to thank our episode sponsor, the Revel Mount Charleston Marathon and Half Marathon. And it's a really cool concept. They bust you up to the top of a mountain and then you just run down. So Angie, you got your PR at a Revel Marathon. That's right. They put on amazing races. Revel Mount Charleston is located in Las Vegas, Nevada. The race date is April 1st, 2023. They offer a marathon and half marathon. You run from the beautiful forests of Kyle Canyon on Mount Charleston into Las Vegas, and it's a fast, beautiful, and downhill course. Revel Mount Charleston has an average 32% Boston qualifying rate. So it's a perfect first-time marathon, or if you're looking for a PR or a BQ, this one is for you. Plus, they just give out all kinds of great swag. They give you a nice, big, heavy metal, moisture-wicking t-shirt, free photos, and personalized race video. Can't say enough good about the Revel races, so definitely check out Revel Mount Charleston. You can get $10 off with the code MTA10 at runrevel.com. The code MTA10 will get you $10 off. And we'd like to thank Prevenex, makers of Joint Health Plus, 
for sponsoring the podcast. You guys have heard us talk about this joint health supplement. It'll help your joints feel better than ever. It's actually clinically proven to reduce joint pain, joint stiffness, and to improve your joint flexibility in just seven to 10 days. And the company also will make this guarantee. If you don't see any benefits in the first 30 days, Prevenex will refund your money, no questions asked. And since we've been talking about it on the podcast, we've had listeners who have tried it. This is from Julie. She says, I have taken this joint supplement for the past month and have noticed a difference in my right knee. I was able to run a 5K with a little pain in my knee. That's wonderful. And this one comes from Nushi. She says, it does help and relieve my joint stiffness and soreness after my long run training. After a week of taking it, I felt the difference and I highly recommend it to runners in marathon training. So we love the fact that it's helping runners and want to see you experience that difference as well. We encourage you to check it out. You can go to Prevenix.com and use the code MTA for 15% off your first order of Joint Health Plus. That's Prevenix, P-R-E-V-I-N-E-X.com. Use the code MTA to save 15% off your first order. So Born to Run, the first book came out how many years ago? 2009, yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm assuming most everyone in our audience has read it. And if they haven't read it, they should stop what they're doing and go read it now. After this this interview, of course. (laughs) Now, we've heard rumors. Angie, what was the rumor you were telling me? That there's going to be a feature-length film um, of Born to Run starring Matthew McConaughey. Is that true? It was true. It was was true. true. Uh One one glorious moment in our lives. And prior to that, what also was true was that it was going to be a movie with, with Jake Gyllenhaal. Uh, and Eric and I got a chance to hang out with, with Jake and his brother-in-law up in, uh, in Leadville one summer. But none of those plans ever came to fruition. But what we're hoping is, actually literally this week, it's being pitched as a TV series, a Born to Run TV oh, nice. series. So, wow. Yeah, we'll cool. see. I don't know. Maybe that will also you know, fail to launch, but we'll see. We'll keep our hope alive. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. So people might be wondering, and they would probably think I was remiss if I didn't ask, to get an update on the characters from Born to Run. If Can you can you just give us an update of where people are at now who were in the first book? Yeah, you know, it's been kind of a fun thing, Eric, hasn't it? That the group has remained really kind of close together. And I think about it a lot. Like I kind of wonder why. If it's a psychological thing that when people share an experience, if they're sort of bonded for life, or if it was more like pre-selected that the kind of ding-dongs that would actually show up for a thing like this <laughs> would be the kind of people that would like each other anyway. Uh, <laughs> but we've been circulating in and out of each other's lives in a way where it's almost an instant call to duty. Like uh, I, I know I could text Barefoot Ted right now and say, hey, dude, uh, I need a pair of sandals. Can you overnight me a pair? And, you know, he would then send me back a 7,000 word reply, but I would also get the, I would also get the, the sandals. Uh, <laughs> Billy Barnett also lives here in Hawaii and I, I, you know, am in touch with him a lot and his wife and his new baby. Louis Escobar has remained a constant. And, and by the way, sorry to interrupt. He's still like crushing it as a runner, isn't he? Billy's insane. Really? Um, we just did a, we just did a little interview with him, a video interview with him because you know, I think the impression people get, and it's it's a valid impression, right, Eric? That you know, when Billy arrived in El Paso, he and Jen were lunatics. Am I am I wrong? Oh, party animals! I mean, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, what what you wrote in the book did it justice, but not even a little bit of justice. Everybody thought that was over exaggerated, and those margaritas were this big. 
<laughs> yeah, the only reason I didn't do more is because I just had to squeeze in other people into the book. Otherwise, I would have gone for about Jen and Billy forever. Uh, yeah. Drank their faces off constantly. We're constantly starting up just chaos. They were they were chaos agents, and yet you know you you fire the starting gun and they're and they're crushing it. And um, but the thing about Billy is that all along Billy is quietly a very thoughtful, dedicated, and disciplined athlete. He knows what he's doing. And that hasn't changed. And the killer for me was, so out here in Hawaii, he's known as the ghost runner. Wow. Again, it's true to his like rebellious kind of latter-day hippie uh, mentality. He's against podiums. Like, man, I'll never get on a podium again, ever. No podiums. <laughs> he won't even like use his name. He'll sign up and like sign in as like Daffy Duck and then <laughs> race, win, and leave. And he's wow. gone. And so people are like, okay, the call, uh, first place, Daffy Duck. Well, he's gone. <laughs> <laughs> so he, he became known as the ghost runner. And so he'd show up at these races, kill him. And my favorite was they had a baby. And so Billy was basically the primary uh, caregiver because during COVID, the school where he teaches was shut down. So he was at home. So he was in charge of Cosmo. And he left for a run with the baby in the stroller. If the baby wasn't having it, well, then no run that day. And on that kind of improvised training, he shows up at the Honolulu Marathon, a major road marathon, which is not his forte. And he finishes friggin' third. Overall, <laughs> age amazing. 36 as a stay-at-home dad. I'm like, dude, how the crap did you do that? And then his yeah. wife, Alex, goes to hurt 100 and finishes fifth out of uh, women at 20 overall. And they wow. go, it's just because we know what we're doing and we enjoy it. Mm. That's awesome. Who are we missing here that we haven't mentioned? Jen? So that? Jen's in Alaska, right, Chris? Yeah. So Jen- um, she gave me an exclusive interview in Alaska. I've been I've been trying to get her on the podcast, and there was a little documentary made about her. So we reached out to the filmmaker who gave us her email, and the reply to us was, "Tell that punk ass Joel not to give my email out." Yeah, I'll do the interview. <laughs> <laughs> so right. So we happened to be in Juneau when she was up there for uh, a running camp. And so we just, we get an in-person interview. She's like, I barely ever give these like maybe one a year. And so I was lucky enough to get that. It was, nice. it was really special. But anyway, <laughs> wait, wait, for our wait, wait, what has this aired yet? <laughs> yeah. It came out. What year was that? 20, 2018. Oh, 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 okay. So ways back. All right. I got you. I got you. Okay. I thought it was something recent because she goes through cycles, uh, cycles of visibility and invisibility. And yeah. you never know when she's going to circle out. So with us, I hadn't seen her for a couple of years. She was uh, ski mountaineering in Italy, like got heavy into schemo until she smashed into a tree and cracked the crap out of her leg. And then she recovered by going to Alaska and becoming a salmon fisherman. So she's out on a fishing boat in Alaska. And then Eric and I were in Utah, in Salt Lake, for uh, a book event. I had my book, uh, Running with Sherman. And mm -hmm. we show up at a church to do an event, and who comes wandering in but the salmon fisherwoman herself, Jen Shelton, fresh off the boat. Wow. <laughs> and then uh, so we, we hung out with her that night, and then and she's living in her van then. And then uh, next update was she was having a baby and then moving back to Alaska to live out there, homestead out there on the front range in Alaska somewhere. And that was the last the last sighting of the That's Shelton cool. herself. So I'm hoping for her to update myself. <laughs> yes. That's cool. Oh. All right. Then there was uh, Scott Jurek. I, I last saw Scott two years ago. I did a three-day camp here in Jackson Hole, and we do a, a run in the morning and a run in the afternoon. And in between those two runs, I got a call from Scott. 
He goes, hey, we're going to be in Jackson Hole. We'd love to see you. And I'm like, well, you can see me if you come talk to my camp members. <laughs> and so we, we had a pop-up visit from Scott. Sweet. Um, it, it, it was That's just, cool. I mean, that, that just goes to show you what Scott's like, to improvise and, and to show up and say, hey, yeah, I'll talk with your campers for 30 minutes and do that was was awesome. So. He is such a great guy. He did an interview with us with his baby strapped to his chest. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. Got the baby to sleep. He's like, all right, let's do it now. Quick. <laughs> I love how you're able to introduce, you know, a new cast of runners and, you know, just the wonderful variety of people that you're able to get. I think it really makes Born to Run 2 super relatable because you can see people from all walks of life, all, you know, body types, backgrounds, all learning how to run free and have fun while they're doing it. That was a real benefit of another member from Born to Run was uh, Lewis Escobar. Mm-hmm. And Lewis was the photographer who was uh, there and you know took the great cover picture of Billy Barnett for the cover of the book. And so one priority for Eric and I was that we really wanted to use this book to show people the faces of running that often aren't represented in the media. You know, you see a lot of blonde ponytails in advertisements and running magazine, and you don't see a lot of everybody else who's actually out there running. So that was a priority for us. But once you start to brainstorm, like, oh, you know what? I'd love to have somebody who runs with a dog. We want to make sure they're people of color. And then Eric and I are like, well, dude, I live in Peach Bottom. You live in Jackson Hole. We don't really know that many people at all, let alone a variety. And so we call Lewis up. Dude, we want all these different people. We, we can't do it. And he's like, all right, uh, give me an hour. And then like an hour later, like, I get everybody you want. So <laughs> including a place to shoot. So we end up doing a photo shoot in Colton, California at a nudist ranch because it's a closed community. So it's perfect for photography. So and we tell everybody, listen, it's a nudist ranch. You don't have to be nude, but this is where we're going to be. And everybody, <laughs> to their credit, we're so cool. And we ended up having this, this magical few days together. People might be disappointed to learn there are no naked pictures in this book. Just <laughs> FYI for everybody. <laughs> yeah. We had, we had to tell Pat and Barefoot Ted twice, keep your pants on, guys. <laughs> <laughs> so was the, the idea of getting these people together and then introducing them to the run free method. And then in the book, I'll just, I like how you guys alliterated this. Mm-hmm, all the Fs. There's uh, <laughs> the free seven, food, fitness, form, focus, footwear, fun, family, and the final lesson. That's got to be intentional, right, guys? All those Fs? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> how long did it take to come up with all the Fs? <laughs> you know, the, the whole process just kind of flowed. I mean, Chris hates when I use that word, the zone, but I'll, I'll jump back to all the, the characters in the book of how, how we wrote this is that Chris and I would talk a lot and then we kind of, Chris would hunker down and write a little bit and then send it to me. And every time he'd send me part of the chapter, I'm reading about these people and I'm getting motivated. Here I'm a runner for the last 40 years and I'm I'm being inspired by what Chris is writing and hearing about these runners. And it was just so inspiring for me to be part of that process. But reading about these people that just made me want to put down the paper and, and go for a run. But get, getting to the, the free seven, you know, I, I think that's where Chris and I worked really well together. There was a lot of creative conversations, whether it was, you know, having music as part of a teacher for run form or hey, how can we create this free seven that is easy to remember and also easy to execute? You know, what's fun, fascinating too about that photo shoot was because there's a priority to get these pictures into the book, we decided let's do the photos first before we've actually even written the book because I want to make sure we had those in the tank and then we can take our time to get the text together. 
because I, I didn't want to have the book together. And all of a sudden, oh, we don't have time. We can't find the people. So we got these runners together, and we were putting them through these exercises that Eric has designed only for the sake of the photos. But then we realized, huh, different runners are struggling with different movements, which we never expected because a lot mm. of these runners are extremely accomplished. And I'm really glad we did the photos first because it taught us that everybody, no matter who they are, they got a little something. You know, They got a little wobble in their system that is a potential for disaster down the line. And it really reaffirmed our idea that no matter who you are as a runner, beginner or veteran or anywhere in between, there is probably a little hitch in your giddy up that you <laughs> can correct if you identify it. Yes. And that hitch is not necessarily running form or footwear, but it could be your approach to food, which is, again, it's a major problem. Most of us get into running because of our relationship with, to food one way or the other. You know, either, hey, I'm a little heavy, I want to lose some weight, or, you know, you hear us all the time, I only run so I can eat whatever I want. But then right. you're on this constant hamster wheel of your, your running is dictated by your eating. And so what we wanted to come up with was something like a way to take food off the table so it's not an issue. Um, hmm. or, or strength issues so they're no longer an issue. So that, that was a cool thing about that photo shoot was realizing that all these runners across a spectrum of backgrounds were all struggling with stuff. What's also entertaining about the book is there's lots of really informative and interesting asides. Like you talk about this group in Philadelphia that started doing a beer run, basically. And, uh, and, and this was tied into some research done by a professor in Spain. Maybe take a second and talk about that. What, what was that about the beer run? Because I'm particularly interested in beer. The um, community <laughs> aspect of it. Who's <laughs> the professor? The professor, that's the one. And the beer runners are started by a guy whose marriage was breaking up and his health was taking a bad turn and everything was going south in his life. And he used to like, just go to the nearest bar. And then one day he was so aggravated and upset, he actually ran to the bar, like just sprinted there desperately. And there was a, a, a moment of clarity a second before he pulled open the bar door where he realized, oh, I actually already feel better. Like just sprinting here like a madman actually accomplished what I wanted from the alcohol. But then he opened the door with the bar anyway and, you know, drank his face off. But then he started a group called the, 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 uh, the Fishtown. Fishtown is a tough neighborhood in Northeast Philly, the Fishtown Beer Runners. And their, their goal is to just get to the bar by any means necessary on your own two feet, walk, run, whatever. And yeah, and it's become this fantastic movement. And after he read that article by a professor in Spain about the benefits of drinking a lower alcohol percentage beer post-run, then they started that cheers to the professor, right? Yeah. So they're getting Professor Manuel Castillo from the University of Granada in southern Spain. And so, so here's uh, my friend David April. Uh, he's running to the bar. He, he convinces his buddy Eric to run to the bar with him. A couple other people now running to the bar with him. But they're basically like, you know, we're just running to a bar. And then yeah. uh, his friend Eric found this study by a professor who said that actually drinking a beer after exercise is better hydration form than even than even water. And so Eric like seized on that. Like, okay, there's my alibi. So they said, <laughs> we're not just drinking. We're drinking in the name of science. You know, we're, there you so, go. Uh, and to this day, now it's been more than 12 years. And they always salute the professor uh, every time they, they do a run. See, Angie, I always drink in the name of science. That's why I, I'm sure. That's why I always do it. <laughs> I want to uh, wrap up with one more question and, and just bring it back around to the original characters in Born to Run, the real life characters in Born to Run, the first book, particularly the Tarahumara and Caballo Blanco. What can readers expect to find about the Tarahumara and about uh, Micah True, Caballo Blanco, in this 
this new book, Born to Run 2. Wow. So, you know, it's funny. This, this is, a, I think, kind of a cool way of answering your question. So when Born to Run was about to be published, we're, we're working on a cover. And we were looking at all kinds of different pictures and images, and not, nothing was really quite right. And there's one picture I kind of liked. It's uh, with Billy Barnett sitting on top of this mountain, looking out. And he's like, oh, he's like, shirts off. He's all like shredded, looking like he's about to step off into an adventure. Uh, except sitting next to him on the ground is Mike Cattrall. And he's just kind of sprawled on the ground drinking water. And the whole book is about the search for this mysterious loner named Caballo Blanco, except like on the cover, like there he is, like, he's like hanging out. So I said, this would be a great image if Caballo actually wasn't in it. So we removed him from the cover. And then what we end up with is this iconic image of Billy Adventure Warrior about to start the adventure. So we published the book and then uh, one person was very upset about that. And that was, that was Micah, like kind of pissed that uh, he knew he's in that picture and now he's not. Uh, but, you know, we, we got over it and, and uh, things were fine. And uh, we went on, you know, to become friends and, and get along really well. But what's kind of funny is when we were working on the cover of this book, Born to Run 2, we're all up in the mountaintop trying to recreate that image with a lot of people. But I wasn't quite happy with it. So I ran down at one point to tell Lewis, hey, let's get everyone closer together, move this person right and left. And he took the picture. And then we ended up using that picture for the cover. And that's the only one that I'm not in. Every other picture I'm in it except for that one. And that ends up being the best one for the cover. And we realized, so Micah passed away in, in 2012. And uh, he was out on a run and disappeared in the Gila wilderness and, and his heart gave out. But what's eerie about it is he died in March of 2012. We realized we only had one picture for the cover in March of 2022. It was 10 years literally to the month from his death mm. that we did this new cover and I felt like he got his revenge. Like the dude who got knocked off the cover 10 years ago, <laughs> knocked me off the cover now. Wow. But, but Micah, Micah passed away. And as far as the Tabumara, you know, they've gone through some some serious, serious challenges down in the Copper Canyons. And we're just kind of mm -hmm. always hoping that by respecting and celebrating what they do, they can get the attention and, and the protection that they, they need and deserve. And, and I'll add with the Taramara and the Ramramari is that, you know, if you look at them as runners, they run for multiple reasons, whether it's racing, for community building, spiritual, for hunter and gathering. And I, I think if you look at them and look what this book is about, is that this book uses them really kind of as a message that we all are meant to move one way and we can all kind of become the runners we want to become in, in our own way. Mm -hmm. And one of our free seven is fun. And it's, it's I think, really understanding yeah. what is fun for you as a runner. And that's different for everybody. Well said. And this interview has been a lot of fun, guys. I appreciate you taking the time to speak with us. Definitely want to encourage everyone to go get a copy of Born to Run 2 when it hits the shelves. Or pre-order now. <laughs> that's right. This is my marketing <laughs> genius wife here. And uh, if people want to find out more about the book or what you guys are going to be up to promoting it, where can we send them? Yeah. So, so you can go to born to run world, which is our website. You can pre-order there and all the social media outlets born to run world on Instagram and YouTube are probably the biggest right now, as far as content and hopefully TikTok as we build our TikTok. <laughs> awesome. And did I hear something about podcast episodes too? That you Yeah. Were those releasing? are on um, YouTube as of right now, because we're, we're adding okay. B-roll and supportive visual pieces to that so that it's it's not an audio only content right nice. now. Awesome. So, yeah. Love it. Christopher and Eric, thank you so much for joining us and good luck with uh, the launch of the book. Thanks you guys.
Yeah, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Enjoy Carlisle. It's going to be beautiful in the next couple of weeks. It is, yes, <laughs> for sure. All right, well, hope you enjoyed that conversation with Christopher McDougall and Eric Orton. What's cool about reading running books like Born to Run and Born to Run 2, it makes me want to like go lace up my shoes and get out and run. I'm like, why am I sitting here reading about it? I should be out doing it. And I think that's one of the cool things about a running book. It should do that. So get the audio version and you can have the best of both worlds. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. Well, that brings us to the end of this episode. Thank you so much for being a listener. If we can help you, please reach out. We have a contact form on our website, marathontrainingacademy.com. We'd love to hear from you. We are equipping and training everyday runners like you through our program called the Academy and also through our coaching services. We'd love to help you gear up for your spring race. Get a jump start on that. There's a link right there on your phone with this episode where you can book a free call if you want with our head coach, Coach Nicole, and uh, see how we can help you. Until next time, keep taking action, and remember you have what it takes to run a marathon and change your life. Right on my-